You're listening to Metal Matters, a weekly Gimme Radio podcast. I'm your host, Mike Hill. If you like metal, punk, hardcore, or anything extreme, you've come to the right place. So subscribe and never miss out. I hope everyone's doing well in the midst of this global pandemic. I'll be coming to you guys every week without fail, providing entertainment to help us through these troubling times. This week, we have my good friend Val Noir of Metastasi, this amazing design company. You've seen his work on the covers of Watain Records, Blue House Nord, Tombs, and uh, others. He's a great guy, very interesting person, was there in the beginning of a lot of the French black metal scene, so he's got a lot of insights into that. In addition to all of that, he has a great book called Analog Black Terror, which is this exhaustive tome collecting obscure and not so obscure demo covers. So here we go. How has this uh, global pandemic been affecting you? Oh, well, I must say, you know, like I'm a bit always hiding in my hole and working from home. My social life is not super developed. And also I have my girlfriend who just arrived from Russia. I mean, just arrived. She arrived like one of the last planes available. Oh, wow. So And we work together. So we're basically quite... uh, Going through this experience so far quite uh, in a quite comfortable and cozy way, I must say. We don't have much to complain about for the moment. I mean, we will see how this will treat you in like two or three or four weeks. But for the moment, it's, um, yeah, I mean, like the street of Paris looks like Pyongyang in North Korea now because you have so few cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's quite entertaining. But yeah, we, also we tried, we tried, you know, like to be good kids and to be quite self-disciplined and to avoid breaking the law and going to see some friends and partying, you know, for the moment we would just try to, to stay, to stay safe home. And yeah, that's it. That's weird. I mean, we'll see how it develops. We yeah, are that, all the same. Uh, it's the same. Like in New York, you're not in quarantine yet, right? Not yet, but there's uh, there's always been these rumblings about things being locked down, quote unquote. And um, but right now, I mean, everyone's working at home, and uh, like I haven't left the the house, or the apartment in over 24 hours. So more than that, actually, more like 30 hours. Um, you know, it's it's okay. I mean, I can work from home. I have stuff around me you know it's not too bad food th- things like that so i'm getting by you know well why you live you're in brooklyn brooklyn yeah okay yeah well yeah this is going to be a rough patch for all of us i think so get ready because i mean it, it that's weird you know like we only we are only allowed to get outside twice a day just to go like for groceries or beside this we need like specific authorization you know for like derogations if you want to do something else and you know, we have cops in the street i mean we haven't been controlled yet and the, the street are still quite crowded because people don't take their car anymore so they, they walk you know but mm-hmm. uh yeah that, 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 that that's getting weirder and weirder so yeah yeah i i always tend to uh my mind goes into these more conspiratorial uh avenues when stuff like this happens or well this is the first time anything like this has really happened but I'm always predisposed to think about conspiracies and 
control and the government and all these other, you know, sort of ideas about how people are complying. And um, I mean, I understand it's a health issue and all this other stuff, but I also have, you know, there's nagging doubts as to what's really going on here. And uh, I just don't want to go down that rabbit hole just yet, but uh, <laughs> we'll see how it turns out. Yeah, well, my, 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 my point of view is that it's going to cost so much money to all the governments worldwide is that I have really difficulties to figure how this could benefit anyone in power right now. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So, on so well. <laughs> the uh, Metastasi, when you go to your website, there's a very bold statement, uh, which I think can be intimidating to some people, but also to people like myself, when I see that statement, uh, it makes me feel that this is someone that I'd want to work with because they're about actually doing something creative without any kind of limitations. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I, uh, what that intention, is that to kind of scare away um, you know, people who aren't serious about their work or what, what's the intention behind that? Well, yeah, uh, first it came out, it was in the, in the very first place when I did that like 12 years ago or something, it, it was a pure emotional reaction uh, to a couple of uh, commissioned work that went really bad because, you know, of some clients wanted to interact too much in my work in a quite bad and uh, an, an effective manner. And also, you know, <clears throat> while disrespecting my point of view, it was also lowering the, the global aspects of what I was doing. So in the first place, it was quite a very emotional reaction, brutal emotional reaction. Um, then I kept it because it was actually quite effective. Well, scaring people away, I just think it just filters people with whom I would have never wanted to work with in the first place. So maybe I lost some opportunities to work with big bands. I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, but if that's the case, that probably means that it will, not, it will not have worked anyway in the first place. Uh, and yeah, and then people like you, you know, like you, a lot of people are coming to me because they actually like, it reflects their own state of mind when things come to creativity and therefore feel quite comfortable in in, in, in working within within those worlds. Also, um, you know, it's, it's a very aggressive statement, but... Actually, uh, and you know that because, I mean, we have been working together also with Tooms. Uh, I'm not that radical when I'm in front of, you know, like smart enough people and with whom I can discuss, you know, people with taste, people with, with understanding of things. Um, so I, I am not in real life, in practice, I'm not that radical because as soon as people have accepted the statement anyway, that means that we can talk, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but I, th there is no way I'm going to take that 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 site that um, sorry this text away from my site because I mean it did uh, it did good so far so you know fuck it you know and it, it proved that I, and also it proved that I could still make my money and work and have a, like a decent living with those walls around me so why take, taking them off now you know that's that would be ludicrous so yeah. Yeah, when I read that, I was like, this is pretty much exactly the type of person I'd want to work with. And uh, I think it's been been good so far. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And, uh, if you go th and also, if you go through, um, you know, the portfolio of work that's shown on the site, I mean, you'd work with Behemoth, Watain, you know, 
big names as far as I'm concerned. And also outside of that, you know, you've also done quite a bit of work with, with even bigger artists like, you know, Leibach and, uh, and I don't think that that statement has, has stood in your way, stood in, in progress for you. I mean, you've, you've definitely uh, put together um, a very unique and kind of uh, prolific uh, you know, set of work. So um, I don't think it's, uh, I think it's helped actually, you know. Well, you know, this is something I, I, I told to a lot of designers who came to me and telling me, well, we love your manifesto, but I love your manifesto, but I cannot afford to adopt a similar um, strategy because it will harm my business. And it will like, yeah, like frighten away a lot of customers. But this is what I answer is like, man, listen, I, I did it and I still work. And I work for big names, as you said. I, I work for like good clients, and uh, it, it, it's all good. So sometimes you, you know, you got disappointed by uh, uh, how to turn it um, by your own expectations, including expectation of you know like. Um, uh, wait, wait, wait! I try to figure things in my mind. Uh, well, anyway, I mean. It just works better than what people should think. So that also means that people should try a bit more to have a bit more courage because sometimes it just works, you know. So yeah, definitely. And uh, your actual work, like the actual content of your work, I, I can see that there's a lot of um, like there's in my mind there's a difference between a graphic artist and a designer, and your your work kind of combines like both both aspects of that. And were you first the designer or an, like a graphic artist? Like, did you, you know, I, what's, what was your, your evolution as an artist? No, well, my, 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 my studies background is graphic design. This is what I did, you know, yeah. um, like communication design, okay. mostly directed towards advertising. Uh, but I've always been working with both elements in parallel, not even conscious that those things were dissociated, you know. For me, it was just part of the same body, like, like two legs of the same body. Uh, it's like a long time after that I realized that those were two different fields of work, at least according to a lot of people. And you can be a very good illustrator and, a very, very, and being very, very bad with typography. And you can also be like a very good... To, to, to lay out and design books in a very elegant way and being not able to to, to draw shit, you know. Uh, but that probably comes from the fact that when I was a kid, I wanted to be a comic artist, you know, oh, yeah. a designer. And uh, also I wanted to be like a, like a car designer and all those things evolved in this weird way. And also I had to, to find some studies that called, in which I could, you know, like blossom, but also provide, that would also provide money for me to make a living. So I just ended up like, like growing both elements more or less in parallel at the same time. And yeah. this is, I think this is also why I, I can, I'm still not, maybe not thriving, but you know, it still works for me is because I can provide two types of like, like several types of services to, to bands and labels and promoters. And this is why I attract them, I think. So mu music, uh, you know, a lot of people know you from your art, but you've, you've put, you have several different projects, you've projects you've done over the years. So when did music and art kind of come together for you? 
Well, you know, I <laughs> soon enough I figured out that I wanted to to be active. Wait, once again, that I wanted to be active professionally and like to to give my life not only to music but mostly to black metal. At least when I was younger. Uh, it was like very, very specific. And well, soon enough, I also realized that it was basically much more complicated to build a career and and isolate myself in art. Um, it was much more difficult to isolate myself in art if I was like being a music practitioner than to be like a graphic artist. So uh, at some point, like the, my, my, my let's like so-called music career just took the back seats. And, um, you know, like, I mean, you know, it's yourself, you're, you're a musician yourself, like being a musician just demands just like tremendous sacrifices. You have to, you have to sacrifice everything to music, like your, your family, your job, your everything, everything for very often, most of the time, very mediocre and disappointing feedbacks, uh, and, and outcomes to the point that it's just very discouraging and you, you end up like dropping the ball, um, uh, so, uh, and in the meantime, you know, like being like a graphic designer and a visual artist in the exact same field and uh, creative universe uh, allows me to keep on doing what I like and not being dis- discouraged by by weak, like very very low outcomes. So this is why I make the I, I made this choice uh, as a musician. You know, I always have like a couple of projects on the side, long-term projects, but I'm really, really not define me as an active musician. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's uh, my my priority has always been like creating images much more than making music. It's not the same emotion though that you feel when you make an image and when you are like head banging on stage. Um, on on some riff that that truly like puts you in a trance. It's not it's not the same. It doesn't manifest the same way on your spirits. But you know, in the end of the day, I I, I have no really no frustration of having not developed that much the music aspect of the musical aspect of my my the creative spectrum of my activities. Um, but yeah, as I said, I always have a few things, you know, like in the background on the, on the run and yeah, I'm working on, on a few stuff right now. Yeah. I mean, in mankind's evolution, you know, the two things are almost, uh, you know, they're mirror images of each other in some ways. I mean, even that primitive man music, you know, dancing movement, um, you know, graphics, like cave paintings, all that sort of stuff has always been very, uh, you know, very, very close to mankind, you know, expressing himself. And, um, you know, to this day, I still feel like that's something like, like, that's why, like, I always think that the graphic expression of music, be it uh, or an album cover or T-shirts or any kind of uh, imagery has to be closely tied to the, the uh, intention of the music. You know, and that's the two things are very, very closely related in my mind. Well, um, as I always, well, not always, but like for a long time, so things that I, I believe in the concept of Gesamt uh, uh, that is the, the, the total, total piece of the global and total piece of art, work of art. That means that when, when someone approaches creation, it should envision all the facets 
of the of the prism you know um you you like like the music is one thing but it cannot go it, it cannot go without without image it cannot go with like a lot of those different you know um it's just like the it's just like the the the, the different members like organs of one same full body and like bands should always 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 uh, give as much value to their music as they should give to the visual and they should give to the lyrics and they should give you know like all those aspects so yeah it's the for me like being an artist is not focusing i mean you know it's not it's not a rule it's just my point of view but i think that it's important for an artist to um to consider all the different mediums and aspects of one of one idea to give this idea maximum impact and maximum reach, emotional reach, I think. Yeah. So what drew you to, into black metal? Because, uh, you know, these days black metal is, uh, I'm not going to say commercial, but it's way more accessible than it was, like, say, in the 90s or even, you know, 2000, 2001. So what about the music uh, drew you into it? Well, you know, um, what happened is that I, I started to listen to metal when I was like 11, 12 years old, like 92, something like this. Um, and I very, very fast, uh, I, I've been attracted by radical stuff very, very, very quickly. Like something more extreme than what I already had with like Maiden or Iron Maiden or even Slayer. So I was like quite fastly attracted to death metal. And also quickly disappointed because it was not delivering a message, like an actual message that was as sincere, like that, that was sincere. And, you know, it, it was just like a bunch of kids playing around, just like watching horror movies. And that was it. And I wanted something more serious. So um, I discovered, like, like in 93, I heard the name of Mayhem for the first time, but it was very difficult to 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 put my hands on the record because the distribution was so weak, you know, especially because I was a kid and I had absolutely no network. So, it, and I heard like about Mayhem and I heard like, of course, like of all the, you know, like all the facts surrounding Mayhem, like the murders, George Arsons, et cetera, et cetera. So this immediately attracted me. And in 1994, I bought my first record and it like totally like swallowed me as a whole human being. And this was like like total revolution, total revolution in my life, and it still it still has a huge impact on me. Although you know, like I was I was a teenager back then, and you you take things in a very different way when you are 15 years old and when you are 40 years old. Um, radicalism evolved in something that it like I mean, when I see what's happening those weeks, you know. It's hard for me anymore, like to really praise for the end of mankind because this is more or less what's happening now. Not 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 the end of mankind, but we are facing a pandemic, and that is one of the thematics that are always been praised in black metal. And when the shit actually happens, you know, you get a bit of cold feet. Right. Uh, but yeah, the thing also what attracted me in black metal was it was its like pure radicalism, and you know the fact that those guys were not talking about destruction, but actually destroying things and lives and act of terrorism and this kind of things. And But yeah, quite quickly, 
black metal go to as, as soon as those bands started to have like a like to reach a, um, a wider audience and to have success they Im- it immediately like watered down uh the this radicality and becoming being like a very disappointing betrayal to people who are actually still looking forward like the bitter fruits of evil in black metal um so this is when you know like this is when in the late 90s appeared like all the, this so-called orthodox scene with bands like you know Despel Omega and White Dane basically all the bands revolving around uh, Norma Evangelium Diaboli who wanted to take back radicalism uh in black metal from those bands who have who all have been like most of them huge disappointment and keep on disappointing actually like in 2020 because it's getting worse the circus is getting worse and worse and worse and worse to the point that I, I even myself sometimes wonder if it's still worth fighting for anything within the black metal sphere. But well, I'm trapped, so I have to deal with it now. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's the yeah, that's my more or less like very, in a nutshell, my my path within black metal, like panning on 25 years. I, mean, I could talk about that for two hours, but is, uh, that's not the idea now. In France, is there like a very Christian vibe? Uh, I mean, I've been to France many times, but it's always been, you know, around people like you and me that, you know, I experienced the city. But, uh, you know, for example, like in Norway, there's a, there was a very Christian sort of uh, environment that those bands, um, you know, sort of developed in. So is there is there a similar thing in France or is France like way more? Ex- I know well, I know there's a lot of different types of people that live in France, too. So. Well, well, the first thing is that we are Catholics and Scandinavian people are, are Protestants, like the Lacrithorians. And yes, there is on one hand in Scandinavia an aspect of the society that is super progressive and another other aspect that is super conservative. And while, you know, like Lutheranism appeared, it was here to create a reform and to make things more modern and more, you know, like basically a bit slight, more, more functional. For, for, for society, it also became something with years that uh, created its own new con- conservatism that you face a lot in the US, for example, and that also exists in the, in Scandinavia. Um, as far as France is concerned, the, the religion is castrated here. Like Catholicism is still exists, but basically churches are mostly like filled at twenty percent on Sundays and. Th- and like those 20% are composed in 90% of retired, if not dying people, uh, let alone um, mentally mentally challenged kids and um, uh, like inbred consanguinity, uh, uh, like bourgeois family. It's, uh, I mean, there is really, really nothing left to be frightened of with religion in France. I mean, when things come to to, to Christianity, of course, then you have the rise of other uh, communitarism and other religious religious radicalism, just like Islam. But this is another, another totally different uh, problem. As far as like traditional religion is concerned in France, there is like, it's just like a, like the ghost of something that used to exist, but no one gives a shit anymore about that in France. So I'm pretty quite, I'm quite happy about that. It's quite, it's a, it's a natural, but, uh, but logical evolution, I think. Yeah. Cause I think that was one of the main things that fascinated me about black metal back, you know, when I was discovering it. Um, I mean, even, ba- even earlier than that, uh, things like Slayer and, you know, 
there, even though that turned out not, even though one of the guys in Slayer turned out to be Catholic, <laughs> um, you know, the, the satanic imagery and the anti-Christian sentiments were something that I, even at an early age, I really responded to that because I saw just the oppression of the, you know, just monotheistic religion in general, be it Christianity, Judaism, Islam, and also with those three religions, how the earlier versions, like, you know, there's like esoteric Christianity, like there are things prior to the way we, the way that religion has been perverted by greed and control that actually I think are valid, you know, same things with Judaism, Kabbalah, like all that sort of stuff and how those ideologies in and of themselves weren't necessarily bad things, but the human aspect of it perverted it into this controlling way of, you know, just controlling peasants, basically people who are, who, who aren't educated or, you know, creating armies of people who to do your bidding, basically, you know, and that's... Yeah, it's, it's just a mean of power. That's it. You know, it, it was politics before politics. It's uh, it's just... But, but you know, like, it, it's one thing to frighten people, to control them with, like, earthly laws and control them with, like, the threat of internal damnation. I mean, it, it, this rings another bell that is much, much more frightening to people who are not equipped, intellectually equipped to understand that it is like a whole, whole global pile of lies and bullshit, you know. So, yeah, this is, I mean, this is why also re religion developed so much. But, well, I mean, it's not my job. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a theologian, but, you know. Yeah, this stuff's whole, interesting, whole, though. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of weeks ago, um, your book arrived in my mail, and, uh, you know, uh, and, and I was like, it exceeded, I mean, I, I had already high expectations for it. I thought, you know, I'm like, I knew that it was going to be a incredibly well-designed package. And, and, um, but when I, when it showed up, it was in this big box and, you know, it was, it was, uh, you know, when I opened it, it was this very, this tome, if that's the only word I can think to describe it. And, uh, I was like totally blown away by the care that went into putting that thing together and um yeah so so what what motivated you to put that together then of course um we're, t we're talking about uh, analog black terror which is uh still available for those of you out there who are interested in uh black metal demos and the artwork and graphics associated with that so well what, what, what triggered the project is very it's quite simple it's just uh, a friend of mine who his father died and, you know, he went back to the old basement of his old man and found like a couple of shoeboxes uh, full of demos that were resting there for at least 15 years. Most demos from the mid and late 90s. I also had a couple, but, you know, I've never been that good to collect things when... To, to collect records and tapes, et cetera, et cetera. I collect other things. And um, so he arrived at my place with like all those old tapes that neither of us had seen in like 20 years. So it, it was like a, like a quite strong emotional rush, you know? And um, like my friend just said, like out of the blue, you know, like, oh, we should make a book about that. And, you know, I just like took it very, very literally. And I started to to scan those like 50 demos he had and then I expanded to uh, 
to um, my close network and then this work net network like expanded expanded and I ended up like having contributors like worldwide contributors um, but yeah basically the idea was uh, I wanted to you know like to create an archive of all those documents that are uh, either hidden in some basements or just like simply lost and that will be more and more hard to find with with time going. And also there was nothing existing besides like this online demo museum website, but it's like like not really up to date, very small images. And I wanted like to really give um, uh, a response that that had like scope, you know, that was like um, like a heavy, super heavy object focused on, on on the roots of black metal that is for me again radicalism this is what made black metal difference from any other type of uh type of metal it was like like, like the commitment in radicalism i could only compare that to maybe what happened in in punk hardcore or you know maybe hip-hop like gangsta hip-hop but yeah the my idea i i wanted like to 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 breath uh, like like to blow life again into those very very old and fantastic documents that incarnate for me like the purest essence of black metal before it was even before those bands were even signed on small labels you know it was just like sincere and spontaneous spontaneous rush of hatred and creativity um so yeah i uh, i collected you know i i scanned a lot i collected a lot of documents like almost nine no not 900 like six or 700 and i made like i i basically like made a selection of 450 uh what were to me the, the most um relevant documents and uh, and after what happened is that when I was uh, I started to work on the project, I just um, contacted uh, Yosuke Konishi from uh, Nuclear Warner because I knew that he had a wide collection, himself like a wide private collection of demo tapes and documents. And basically in two emails, I just like asked him, but you, would you be interested to in release it? And like just answer, yeah, fuck yes, I'm doing that with you. Uh, as long as I was in charge of all the technical aspects, because like making a book is not releasing a record. It has like, it's technically speaking, it's it's a bit more complicated than just to release a digipack. So uh, 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 as soon as he was assured that I uh, I would be very willing uh, to take the job in terms like of production and manufacturing, then he just like told me that he wanted to do that with me, and uh, and he was willing to put enough money in the in the manufacture of the book to make it look like what you had in hands. That is like a very heavy, big, wide format, nicely bounded um, book with a super nice paper and everything. So, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely, I can imagine, just looking at it, you can tell that there's a lot of different technical aspects to putting a book together. And, and uh, yeah, it looks great up on my shelf. And um, I spent a lot of time, it's something I go back to to look at. You know, I find myself looking at it pretty pretty often checking out the different imagery all the demos and also those uh those demo covers are scanned at at a hundred percent actual size too right i think yeah that was the idea i wanted like the uh, i wanted at least all the demos to be 
the smallest size was the actual scale one. So people could have like the maximum uh, feel and experience like as similar as possible with the, you know, with the original feeling of having the demos in hand. And then some of those that were more, more in, important or interesting to me uh, just increased their size until like huge, huge size, sizes. So you could see like all the, the details and all the, the defaults, the, the mistakes, everything like exploding in your face. Now, if I'm not mistaken, but, in a uh, couple of emails that you and I exchanged, you mentioned something of another book coming out too. Yeah, I'm working on the second tome because um, I, I was I, I was quite in a hurry to I was quite impatient to 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 have this one the, the first one coming together. So as soon as I had enough um, documents that were satisfying to me and that was that were also appealing to me and like you know like finding an echo with me, I just did the book without really trying to search for missing elements that are that were also very important but i could not find back then i'm talking about like the demos of hellhammer of venom of immortal of marduk like of a shitload of bands that's like a shitload of demos that that are not in the first book and that should be in the first book so because of all those holes that i feel that i i, I felt that should be filled I asked to uh, to Yosuke because he was quite because the, the book is selling quite quite well. I mean, it didn't get sold out in one month, of course, but it's still it's still quite it, it's a decent success. Yeah, definitely. So because it was yeah, well, you know, like my, I, I had three hundred copies and I sold those in six weeks, so that's quite that's quite good. And uh, because he was happy with the the outcome of the first one, he told me, "Yeah, sure, let's make a second one, no problem." So right now I'm in the middle of the process of collecting um, of collecting uh, new new documents, and I have like 400 so far. So I'm like kind of halfway to make like a solid um, a, a solid second second volume. I, I I just found a couple of guys who are like insane um, proto what I would call proto black metal collectors, like you know. Those like necro trash band from the 80s with you know, like those guys with bangs and aviator glasses and covered in spikes, <laughs> uh, you know, like and like bands you've never heard of with like in, insanely primitive artworks. It's it's very, very, very exciting. I, I just received like a lot of very exciting documents from bands that no one ever heard about besides those two guys you know so uh it's very um, it, 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 it's quite cool so also i show a bit like the roots of you know like this period of time before when black metal or even death metal were not called black metal of death metal you know it was just like thrash or speed metal that was just more necro than the usual production and like death metal was the name of a demo of possessed and black metal was the name of an album of Venom, and that was it. So those guys were already, some of, of those guys were already playing something that was very, very close to black metal without even knowing that it was black metal yet. So this is one part of, um, this This will be, this, this part like from the 80s will be more important than in the first volume. And then also I'm collecting also more stuff from the from the 90s that were not in. So like, yeah, as I told, like promo tapes, demos from Marduk, Immortal, and, um, Weirder, even weirder uh, documents. I will soon receive some 
like the directions, the graphic direction that Varg Vikan sent to uh, Misanthropy when he was to release the, the first cassette of Bozum, you know. So it's just like a white piece of paper with the text handwritten on it and with an arrow pointing saying, I want this in Gothic fonts, basically, you know. <laughs> so, uh, um, yeah, a few, a few very weird and very unique documents will appear. It will be, I think it will be very... I mean, for the people who enjoy the first volume, they will definitely, definitely like the, the second second volume. Yeah, it and sounds then great, when... man. Like the more the more like primitive artwork is the stuff that I actually find the more the most interesting, really, in some ways. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And also, you know, after the mean, uh, I was talking with um, Christopher Rigg of Ulver recently about that, like saying that after 1995, basically, you have this period of time in which most of the band are just replicating and xeroxing ideas that were done before. It's like all the same corpse paint, all the same logos, all the same font, all the same everything. So you have like this um, this wave, like low wave uh, of just people, like while black metal was something that was breaking ground and creating a revolution in the first place, then very quickly it became extremely conservative like people, like the actors of this scene became extremely conservative and didn't want to experiment anymore. Until the late 90s, in which, you know, like you had all these wave with Norma Evangelium, Diaboli, Catharsis, Funeral Mist, Death Bell Omegas, Vest, all those bands that again came back with the idea that new ground should be broken and uh, things should be shaken to... To start a new a new era of black metal. So yeah, this the 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 the, the second volume will, will also follow this kind of wave, you know, like things growing up in the 80s to to reach a peak in 93, 94, and then going down and then going up again in the late in the late 90s to end up in 2000. I choose to uh, so so it will be it will be like uh, like quite symmetric with the first volume. It will be more of the same structure, and panning through the same. Uh, period of time you know and it will stop again in 2000 because after 2000 it didn't really make any sense to make cassettes anymore so people started to make you know like cdr and also i want to, to stop in 2000 because well it's the new millennium you know so it makes sense you know it's a new era new new things coming up so yeah yeah it's a logical uh, point to stop at um you know, speaking of experimentation, and it feels like I feel like a lot of the French bands were part of that evolution in within black. Oh, a lot of the what, what bands? Sorry, a lot of the French bands, like uh, uh, French the, bands, yeah, okay. Yeah, Blue House Nord comes to mind. Um, you know, where where I feel like the genre actually was was pushed forward by a lot of those bands. You know, Antaeus, like you we you mentioned, um, but that spell Omega. Uh, I mean that that actually I feel like that those bands actually were the ones that kind of pushed things into the new millennium as far as like black metal goes. Yeah, well, there is. I think that if one thing um, would identify the French scene compared to the other scenes worldwide and in Europe is that the French scene has always been... I'm not very objective, of course, but this is also like information I gathered around me, people from foreign countries giving me their insights about that, is that um, the French scene always had like a creative element in it. And uh, also uh, quite uh, important element of insanity also, because, you know, when you take bands like from Les Légions Noires or Peste Noire or... Uh, 
uh, or even Zvest or all those guys were like extremely, and some of them are still extremely, extremely radical and extreme in their way to approach black metal. And mixing this with a very, very uh, creative um, aspect. You know, like also, the, you know, you have bands like uh, like Alcests yeah. that are not quite far from black metal, but still come from like totally come from a black metal background, and that that also created a new sound. Death Metal Omega created a new sound, like a lot, a lot of those bands. So this is what I think, and of course, like Bluetooth Nord. I mean, there are a lot of those weird bands, or even Diapsiki, for example, from Paris, is less known, but not less, not less fucked up, and. Um, so, yeah, when, when you come from this background and then you explore other things, you, you you think that people are just, while black metal should be an insanely uncontrolled creative power that should accept no borders, no, no, no boundaries, you realize that a lot of people are extremely trapped into codes when when things come to black metal. And this is the very, very opposite of black metal should be as, as far as I'm concerned, you know. It, you should free your mind and have like an artist approach instead to have like a craftsman approach and just using recipes and applying recipes that that existed before. One should, when making black metal, try to find his very own identity, his very own uh, world, universe, uh, and and develop that. You know, instead of like stealing, well, st- not stealing, but instead of like replicating what other people did and did better. So yeah, I think the French scene has always been slightly more fertile for this kind of bands than than a lot of other other scenes. I think one of the things that we've been experiencing here in the states in the last uh, you know four or five years, probably as a result of our uh, fascistic uh, regime that's currently in place, is uh, this backlash to to black metal and and sort of extreme music in general. Um, I mean. To me, that seems like something that was very prevalent in Europe uh, for many years. Like with things like I think you know, like Antifa, like you know, taking of being offended by a lot of the black metal and, and the sort of uh, imagery and some of the ideologies that were put forward in the music. Um, so, I mean, I, I, how do you think all that stuff fits together? Well, um, in, in the first place, like we never really had serious anti-fa problems uh, um, related to the black metal scene in Europe. As far as I'm concerned, it always has been much more connected with the industrial scene, like you know the neo folk, dark folk thing. Uh, black metal, at least in France, has always been like under the radar of, of you know of anti-fas. Maybe probably a bit less in Germany, but still, you know, uh, as long as you are not an actual Nazi band, you know, NSBM band, like, I don't know, like Goat Moon or all those bands that, you know, like, well, yes, we are Nazi. We, we play in front of Vastikas and Sig Heil, you know, some of those bands exist. So those bands, of course, have some problem with the Antifas for, I mean, obvious reasons, you know, because they are fascist and the other ones are anti-fascist. So, you know, but... Beside those uh, those specific cases, um, I don't think that we ever had been much annoyed by those people in Europe, in the black metal scene. What happens in the US is that exactly, it's like you have this backlash of um, like a totalitarian regime and 
facing like like triggering uh, totalitarian ideas coming from the other side of the specter, but are that are no less toxic, uh, I think. And um, you, you know, like thinking that black metal concerts are um, a tribune uh, for for uh, Nazi frontmen, and that those are political meeting is just total and pure idiocy. It's just that just go to the concert and you will see by yourself that uh, like trying to avoid those people to express like to avoid like this scene to express itself in the way it wants to express itself just uh, well uh, how could I put put it uh, it's just being a fucking fascist you know yourself you are just being a fucking fascist (laughs) you are just behaving like fascist because you don't there is something you don't understand there is something that you don't know and that you don't understand and because you are convinced that this is toxic then this is toxic and you decide that it should stop to exist because it doesn't fit with your own uh, way of seeing things this is pure this is no less than, than just pure totalitarian behaviors and ideology and Call it fascism, or you can call it. I mean, there are different, um, different kind of totalitarianism. But yeah, I mean, you can call it fascism. You can call it like a Czechism. You can call it different names. But the the the, the Indian is still the same shit. It's it's people like militants, political militants who are who are like blinded by some principle. The the principle they didn't even invent themselves to just um, to attack freedom of speech and freedom of expression. And this is just like something that should be shot because uh, as a, an artist myself, those people are my enemies. And uh, I'm very, very radical towards what should be done to those people, you know. You know, the ironic thing is uh, a number of years ago, right, right around the time uh, this a lot of this stuff started up, you know, with bloggers and journalism and all this other stuff. I had to go to a uh, Sigur Rós concert to write about it, mm-hmm. and um, you know, they're they're a cool band. You know, I, I'm not a uh, huge... Sigur Rós. I mean, from from Iceland, right? Yeah, for the Icelandic band. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. And uh, right around the before I went to the show, I remember there was some big controversy about a black metal show in New York, and and um thinking that, wow, that's some of the most diverse crowds I've ever seen were at black metal shows, you know, like as far as like culturally diverse. Mm. When I went to the Sigur Rose concert, it was literally all white people. <laughs> it was like <laughs> the only the only people of color that were working at were the people that worked at the venue. And I was like, wow, what an ironic sort of situation here. We have mm. like this black metal show being shut down for, you know, lack of cultural you know, sensitivity or whatever. And I'm at this show that's literally a homogenous sort of, it looked like a white power rally. You know what I mean? There was literally all yeah, white yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, this is, this, is, this is a very, 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 very good point. Um, like the first black metal gigs I attended to in, in New York, I was surprised to see like all those Mexican guys oh, with yeah. Thor's armors around the neck, you know, that what the fuck, this is very weird. This is very, very weird. And, uh, and yeah, and, and I met in New York, like a lot of people like coming from any kind of, you know, like cultural background and ethnic background, 
being enthusiastic about that and without even meeting any kind of hostility towards anyone, you know. Uh, maybe it's different when you go to but to Butfuck, uh, Pennsylvania or uh, Midwest to attend like some black metal gigs. I don't know, but in New York, it, it never like, struck me as being like a white supreme uh, as being like white supremacist rallies and quite quite pretty much the opposite, you know. So yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that's not to say that you know in, indefinitely in places like Ohio or you know Indiana, there's like the lone the lone guy that shows up. Uh, you know, who really adheres to those ideologies. But on the other end of the spectrum, like I, when I was like a younger person, you know, in hardcore punk and, you know, that sort of scene, you literally would have groups of white power skins show up to shows. They would, they would come looking to bust heads, you know, and that simply doesn't exist anymore as far as I can see. I mean, that's, that's like a that was a real threat, like in the late '80s and the early '90s, and now it's. But do, do you do you have actual like, you know, like white power fascist left in New York City? I mean, it's a very very unhealthy environment for those people. Like the city is full of Jews, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. How, how can you be anti-Semitic in New York? I mean, you just want <laughs> to, to to shut your head, you know, like to blow your brains out, and it's it's horrible for 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 Nazis to live in New York. I wouldn't really pity those guys, you know, if they still exist, you know, like. Yeah, yeah I, I pity them. It's uh, there's a there's a town in Pennsylvania called Allentown, Pennsylvania, and that was like a, a infamous hotbed for that kind of activity. And if you read, you know, all, there's all these books out now, all these guys telling stories about the old days and whatever. And everyone has a story about going to Allentown, Pennsylvania, and uh, about going there and there being riots and fights and all this crazy stuff. And that just reinforces the point i guess i'm trying to make is that 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 was 20 or 30 years ago now you go to see marduk and it really there's there's nothing like that you know what i mean and um i just think a lot of this stuff like like a lot of the things in our in our culture right now are are made up it's like this really abstract idea that people are almost willing into existence you know what i mean Hmm. yeah so anyway who gives a fuck about those guys (laughs) Um, that, that also brings up another idea about symbols and the use of symbols and things like that. And, um, yeah, I know a lot of the work that you do, you, you use a lot of symbols or develop these, uh, sigils and, um, you know, how, is, is there a process that you have or do you, you know, do you use like, are, are there certain cultural things that you, you you find connections with the band? Cause that's that's one of the things that drew me to your work originally. I mean, I know you did that. Uh, there's a, a behemoth that's kind of triangle with the flames and all that sort of stuff. And and um, yeah. So, what do you have a process for that, or is just something that comes to you? Well, the the, the, beh- the behemoth ziggle was the like the um, the content of the behemoth ziggle was the the idea of of Nurgle. So I didn't really have anything to do with uh, finding the idea behind it. I just gave it a a shape so to speak okay but 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 then it's uh when when i work with a band you know especially like band with like spiritual uh, message so to speak or trying to have a spiritual message um using symbols and ziggurat it's always something very convenient to use because it can easily like look very good and being and carry a lot of um, of power in it, you know, visual power and and spiritual power. Uh, I have different, you know, 
methods to, to, to create to create those. Um, I, I quite often use the, the technique of um, uh, Austin Osman Spare, you know, like this guy in the 19th century, like late 19th, early 20th century, who was like part of the OTO yeah. and who, who gave, you know, like um, uh, uh, theories, like to, to theorize, and he theorized in a very, very clear way how to make a Ziegel. Why? What was the function of a Ziegel and how to create a Ziegel? Um, and this is this is a method that uh, that I have in, in his book Zoskia and that I, I, I use quite often when I try to fill my lines with like spiritual energy and spirit, spiritual power. It's a very very convenient way to to work. But uh, I won't keep I, I won't hide also the fact that sometimes those symbols carry a lot of energy and a lot of sincerity, but sometimes when the band is very uninspiring and when their message is very shallow and just try to 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 look cool and to appear being like a spiritual band while inside there is just like void and shallow right. substance. Then in th in those cases, I just do the same thing. I take symbols and I I mash them together and I <laughs> throw them to the face and and that's fine. Sadly, I sometimes have to do these kind of things because I cannot fill in um, with substance a band that has no substance. And quite I must say, sadly, quite a lot of bands contacting me are still bands like void of any spiritual substance. Sometimes the music is good, but when you read the lyrics, it's like, oh my God, Jesus Christ. It's like <sighs> exhausting to read, you know, like painful and exhausting to read. And, uh, you know, like it's like a 12 years old brat trying to write esoteric lyrics in a pretentious way without knowing shit about anything and just throwing words that sound cool in the air, you know? And this is what you get with a lot of metal bands nowadays in terms of lyrical lyrical uh, context, uh, not lyrical substance. So, yeah, in that case, well, I just, you know... By discouragement, uh, I just like adopt the same strategy as they yeah. do and mishmash like um, a couple of symbols they like all together to create something new and they're happy with it. But I try to avoid that as much as possible, of course, because the, the more substance there is in a band, in a project, the more inspired I get and the more inspired my artwork is and the happy and the happier I am in the in the end of the day. So, you know. But sometimes you, know, you 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 cannot really you cannot really choose all the elements, so well you have to deal with it. Hey, you, you mentioned. It, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. What you're gonna say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, 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 go. Uh, you mentioned the OTO. Um, are you are are you into ceremonial magic at all? Is that something that you? No, uh, no, no. This is not my my, my thing. I, I I have um, I have a cultural interest for occult sciences. Uh, but as far as I as my own personal spiritual faith goes, I if I if I was to be involved in some kind of like rituals or magic, I would make all the elements by myself. I don't believe in anything spiritual that has been written by anyone else but me. Uh, it's just like I'm trying to find a comparison, but. Yeah, it's, it's just like, you know, jerking off and trying to come by using the fantasies of the other guy, 
you know? Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good analogy, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, no, you, you need your own universe. You need your own vibes. You need your own fantasies. You need, you, you know, like to create your own ritual. And you're not going to ask your neighbor, oh, what turns you on, man? Oh, well, I'm into like, you know, fat chicks uh, dressed <laughs> as pigs. Uh, all right, I would jog, uh, I would jack off to that today. You know, it doesn't work that way, you know? <laughs> And I, have, I, I, I really, really have the same, the same approach when things come to, you know, like being involved in any kind of esoteric uh, spiritual activities for myself. Yeah, I think that a, a so, really good way of approaching that is kind of taking the best out of, you know, having a wide variety of things that you're right. interested in and kind of pulling things from here and there. And I don't know, I like specifically with symbols and and that kind of thing i i think that's a excellent way of communicating ideas mm. you know and there are there are there's certain there's certain power and and energy in that kind of stuff and i think that if you have an intention that you can look at the broader picture and kind of pull these things together into something that's very personal you know yep 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 well thank you very much bel noir and uh you know, this is, yeah, I'm uh, getting hungry, and when I'm hungry, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I lose my. Uh, it's very difficult for me to focus on anything else but my food. You know, I'm I'm still a very very primitive person. Je vois dans ces flots d'invectives. Je vois surtout les gens qui boivent, qui mangent, qui dorment, qui font toutes les fonctions humaines, qui sont toutes assez vulgaires. Je dirais qu'ils sont lourds. Et leur esprit est lourd, c'est ça qui me semble surtout. Il n'a jamais cessé d'être lourd. Il y a très peu de, de légèreté chez l'homme. Il est lourd. Et alors maintenant, il est extraordinaire de lourdeur. L'alcool, l'ambition, la politique le rend lourd, encore plus lourd, infirme. Il pèse, hein, la lourdeur les rend infirme. Par conséquent, on peut se méfier de lui. Son... Ils sont prêts à tout. Oh oui, ils sont prêts à tout. Ils sont prêts à tout. Et pour activer encore la lourdeur, ils boivent. Alors quand ils boivent, ils sont des marteaux pilons. <rire> C'est effrayant. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Metal Matters, a Gimme Radio weekly podcast. Tune in next week and see what we have in store for you. The show is available on all streaming platforms. Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, etc. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Radio, streaming on the web, iOS, or Android. For one of the best metal communities, exclusive merch, interviews with artists, and so much more. I'll catch you guys next week. Take care.